Welcome, everyone, to the first episode of Wavelength, the Brave Wave official podcast. I'm your host, Brett Elston, and I'm here with two guests joining me via Skype. Uh, it's Mohammed Tahir. I'm the creative director of Brave Wave. Uh, this is Marco, um, or uh, Monomir on Twitter. I'm uh, both the mixing engineer and associate director. And I just kind of started up uh, in the past few weeks, I, I think, uh, assistant director as well. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, I'm still kind of new to it, but... Uh, Join the Brave Wave team. We don't know what that means anyways. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I found out uh, three years of work, uh, titles become increasingly meaningless because you almost always yeah. end up doing things outside of that title. So, yeah. Um, But yeah, for our first episode, uh, this is just kind of a chance to let people who've been following Brave Wave on whether it's Twitter or Bandcamp or through the blog uh, to kind of get a little bit of you know inside baseball on what's... What's happening behind the scenes, how certain projects have been going, uh, anything we've got in store for the future. Um, and since this is the first episode, it's a good chance to kind of also introduce ourselves. Um, so I feel like Muhammad should maybe lead that um, with a, a quick you know, summary of how all this started and how we got to this point. Uh, the last time I did an interview with a journalist, I ended up talking for, I think, 40 minutes, <laughs> just yes. telling the story of Brave Wave. And I, 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 Marco had to just come on Slack, uh, our chat application, just tell me to cut everything down. So uh, it's basically Brave Wave started because I uh, I wanted to do uh, coll- collaborative music albums. I ended up uh, being friends with a lot of cool composers. I came across Manami Matsumai, Mega Man, once composer, and uh, Keiji Yamagishi, Ninja Gaiden's composer. And... Uh, uh, our relationship got strong. I ended up um, being friends with Marco. Uh, he helped me with the very first album before before this was even called Brave Wave. Marco actually came up with the with the name Brave Wave. And uh, as I was uh, making the first album, I just uh, thought it would be cool to have a place where all these friends, all these people, Manami, KG, to uh, be able to release their own music on it um, because it's really tough for these Japanese composers to release their own albums. And even if they did, it's tough to find their label. And if it's a Japanese label, then no one would know about their albums, you know, in the West. So uh, that's basically a very, very quick recap of how uh, everything happened. And uh, just because we're a small label, usually, just like you said at the beginning, everyone ends up doing 10,000 different things all, Mm -hmm. all at the same time. So I usually handle uh, uh, the storefront, everything about uh, the launch of the album, uh, mostly the marketing, the PR. Uh, I direct the albums. I work with the uh, musicians on on a concept, on the kind of sound that we uh, want to develop for an album. Uh, Marco usually and uh, helps me with all of these things. Uh, and he's the, the mixing engineer, so usually... All the albums that we start, it, it, it's it's a lot of back and forth between uh, me and Marco regarding what we want to uh, what we want to make, uh, what the album is about, exploring the themes, musicians, all of that, and uh, it's been a fantastic few years, and uh, it's really uh, exciting to be doing something so really different. And that's it for me. Now, Marco. I mean, I can just add something a little bit from my perspective. You covered uh, pretty much uh, most of the important aspects. 
one thing I can say probably is that, I mean, we met Mohammed, you and me, because of our love for Mega Man, basically. That's how it mm-hmm. all started. It's, yeah. uh, we met online uh, because we were really passionate about talking about Mega Man and its music, its level design, its, its, its design in general. And it kind of went from there because then I found out, oh, Mohammed is doing this this project with this this compilation album with a lot of musicians. And then basically I started listening to some of the music and I said, but this is really interesting. But there was there were some technical issues that I said, hey, you know what? I can help you with this because I'm I'm uh, um, I'm experienced with this stuff. I've uh, I'm a mixing engineer. I've done uh, a lot of music in the past and we can we can give some of the artists feedback on what they can fix in their music. We can have this professionally mastered and so on. And it basically started from there. I just started out really only on the technical aspects. And then it's sort of, I started to get involved with the planning side of things. And then all of a sudden I I find myself mixing a whole album and then sort of taking charge of a lot of things. And then, yeah, I I was, I was uh, naming albums, naming Brave Wave and just helping with the planning side of things. But Mohammed is still the, I mean, he's the director, he's the founder. So he is how Brave Wave started and, and what Brave Wave is all about. And it's his vision. But I, I try to help as much as I can. When I um, did join Brave Wave originally, I said, I don't have time because I was started mm-hmm. developing a, a, a video game. And then uh, despite my efforts, I ended up getting so entangled in everything that I thought, oh, what the hell? I like this. <laughs> I like what I'm doing. So let's just, just go with it. And now I'm basically 50-50 on Brave Wave and uh, game development. Yeah, so you're keeping busy, it sounds like. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah this whole enterprise, like uh, when I first heard about it, I was kind of like, it seemed almost like a like a fantasy scenario because it was like oh oh cool some composers are doing new music and I just kind of went about my day and then I like it hit me like that night I'm like wait what new music from all these like composers that like I had to like dig through the most arcane forums and information on the internet and like mm-hmm. they're not just like names in a in a in a list anymore it's like these are real people and they're making new music and they define so much of what I like about music from the 80s and 90s and. I really want to get involved in this. I didn't really know what I could bring to the table because I'm not, I have no musical background and I have no like engineering or mixing expertise. I don't have a musical vocabulary. So frankly, I don't know what I'm doing here, but uh, what I did do was uh, the VG empire podcast, which was just celebrating game music. Um, So I think I was already doing that by the time brave wave came up on my radar. And I was like, this is just incredible. Like, cause I think we all had a similar situation growing up where it was, you would listen to this music. Maybe you recorded it off of an NES onto a cassette tape or just off air on a boom box. And like, that was this special treasure having this. Yeah. I recorded like Sonic music or Ninja Gaiden one, two and three, or, you know, just holding the boom box up and record the Godzilla NES soundtrack and just weird stuff like that. And then over 20, 30 years, it, it goes from like this very niche thing that I don't think anyone else really appreciated except like me and a few friends mm-hmm. growing up to like, Oh my God, thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people had the same experience. And mm-hmm. this is a brilliant way to honor the people who did it and kind of did it with little, a acco- few accolades back in the day to like mm-hmm. bring them forward and, and, and give them, you know, a moment in the spotlight that a lot of them probably never really had. Yeah, yes. absolutely. They didn't. Uh, they didn't have that. They Mo can probably talk a little bit about more about that. What that means for them to to have that uh, um, attention that they never had before. Yeah. Um. Uh. I mean, 
when I was first making the World One Two album, I just I had a vague idea of of wanting to make an album with a few musicians. Um, and uh, I've been a huge fan of uh, Ninja Gaiden's composer Keiji Yamagishi, but I did not oh, yeah. grow up with Ninja Gaiden like a lot of people. Uh, I'm in I'm in Kuwait in the Middle East, so uh, soccer is really popular here. So we had a Japanese uh, it's a Japanese anime called Captain Tsubasa. I think I think it's it's very popular even in Europe and and uh, yeah South America. It's, it's just no one knows about it in, in the U.S. and. Uh, uh, of course, I, I saw the enemy when I was a kid. I, I played the game, and the game had really just amazing music. It's, it's. I think it's, it's the one game that impacted me the most um, when I was a kid. So, uh, sometime maybe in two thousand seven, two thousand eight, I became aware of of the fact that okay, the music of this game was composed by someone. So, who who is this guy? And and for a lot of years, I tried to find info about him just because I simply thought, well, if he composed Captain Tsubasa 2, which I love a lot, uh, I wonder what other games he did because I would probably enjoy the music as well. And it took it took a lot of years until um, I found anything about him. I remember I, I even uh, posted a thread uh, on NewGAF and people there told me that he made Ninja Gaiden, but that was basically it. Uh, so when I was making World War II, um, I asked on Twitter, does anyone know anything about Keiji Yamagishi? And someone replied to me and he said, well, I found this Facebook page, so maybe this is him. Maybe not, but maybe it's him. So I added him. I asked Alex, uh, he's the co-founder of Brave Wave with me uh, at the time, and I told him we followed each other on Twitter, and I simply told him, you know, I have this very short sentence, and I want you to translate it. And it was basically, uh, are you Moriyama-san, the, the guy who composed Ninja Gaiden, Captain Tsubasa? And he said yes, and that blew my mind, because I never thought I would actually uh, get to talk to the guy. And I started talking about Captain Tsubasa, how it influenced me and everything. And uh, at the time, I was hesitant to ask him about joining the album. Uh, and uh, I remember I, I asked him to interview him just because no one else did. No one knows anything about him. And he did a lot of really great music that I thought people would uh, certainly enjoy. It. Uh, uh, I would want to know what other games he ended up uh, composing, how he composed Ninja Gaiden, Captain Tsubasa. So uh, we did a month-long interview where I sent him questions every day. He would answer them and I would build on them. And uh, we had to do this weird way of interviewing just because I really didn't know anything about him. So I, I couldn't, for example, give him 10 questions. Uh, I, I had no idea what to ask. Yeah. So midway in the interview, I asked him, why did you stop making music? And he said, um, in the PlayStation 2 era, uh, the sound changed and uh, you can... Uh, if you're not someone who can make uh, orchestra-like music, uh, it's hard to find a job. And he said that uh, he he didn't think that his style was relevant uh, at the time, and he just he slowly uh, got himself out, and that really made me incredibly sad. And I thought uh, it, it's frustrating that someone with this talent and with this apparent love for music is just not making music anymore, just because he thinks that people don't like it or people yeah. are not interested in it. While there are a lot of people like me who really would love to listen to even new stuff by him. That, that time frame is interesting because like 
as the PS2 GameCube Xbox era was was rising about like 0203 is when I started noticing the first actual chiptune artists like showing up mm-hmm. like on MySpace back in the day and mm-hmm. it's yeah like you said it's sad that like he felt like there was no avenue left to him that even even though there was on one side people using Game Boys and NESs to make all new music I guess maybe he just wasn't aware nope uh, I mean I met the composer of uh, Mega Man 2, and I mean, we all know how influential and amazing Mega Man 2 soundtrack is, but um, I met him in 2013, and I met him again this past year uh, in April 2015. And so uh, I interviewed him, and uh, I asked him, one, uh, when did you become aware of people's love for Mega Man 2's music? And he told me, when I first uh, met you in 2013, <laughs> which blew my mind because I mean I I, I understand if if people uh, maybe if if KG didn't know that people loved Captain Tsubasa and Ninja Gaiden, but Mega Man Two is something that's so ingrained in yeah. pop culture that you would think that uh, he would know, but he didn't, and he said that uh, when he went to Konami after afterwards, so from Capcom after Mega Man Two, I think he went to. Uh, uh, I forgot the name of the developer. It's with Akira Kitamura, the same guy who made uh, Mega Man. Uh, he composed maybe one or two games with them. And then he went to Konami after that. And he said that Konami had a lot of talented composers. You know, Mishiro Yamane, uh, Kinoya Mashita, who did uh, Castlevania 1. They had a lot of talented composers that he felt ashamed of Mega Man 2. And he didn't even tell them that, you know, I'm a composer and I made the music for Mega Man 2. And he just, they, they just uh, put him into a producer role, and he just quit making music. And uh, wow. now he he has a label. He I think he works on, a lot on producing albums and uh, uh, anime, TV shows, stuff like that. But he's not making uh, music. And uh, you can just try to imagine how having the support and just just knowing that people love your stuff that it would just drive you to make more stuff because um, as much as artists like to think that they're just making art because they want to we all really we we crave attention we want to make something that affects people and make them uh, happy maybe improve their lives in a way and if you don't get that uh, reaction from the stuff that you make it would just it would maybe to to a lot of the Japanese composers it it just felt like a job and that uh, it's time to move on which really made makes me sad so it was kind of the same with keiji uh of course keiji he knew he knew about uh, um mini bosses the the band that uh, plays a lot of video game uh, remixes he he went to youtube he saw a lot of that but even then he was not aware of the popularity of chiptunes and uh he didn't really know that people would be interested in that so when he when he told me about that decision to a story and that he quit and all of that i at the time i asked him okay um, i'm making this compilation album i have a lot of video game musicians as well as video game remixers doing music and it would be neat for you to make a new track for it uh, uh i'm a fan of captain Tsubasa, so i hope you can make something like that and he did uh, he composed a track called memories of t and when he gave it to me i loved it so much that i basically begged him to make an album. I told him, "Just you, you just make the music and I will figure everything else out. And uh, I, I will publish it. 
I will figure everything about about uh, you know how to make this a, a successful album. You just have to worry about the music. And the funny thing is, when I pitched him that idea of the album, I did not understand anything about uh, yeah. making albums. I did not know that there is a stage called mixing. I didn't know that there is something called mastering that you have to do after finishing an album. The only thing I was aware about of, you know, art direction. I, I would work with someone to make the art, to make the CD package and all of that. But I, I was not aware of uh, any of the challenges of, of uh, creating an album. And it took a lot of time and just just a lot of luck in finding Marco because Marco was was the person who made me learn everything about uh, making music, making albums, finalizing albums. And he did it for so many years professionally. Uh, Marco's music, you know, was pressed on vinyl, on CDs, everything. And so at, at the time, even though I was really excited about working with KG, I had no idea how to do anything. But I was simply too excited. I, I, I just wanted to listen to new music by him. And I was kind of um, selfish about it because yeah. uh, I just want new music. Whether, whether it makes money or not, I, I had no idea, of course. But I was excited by that idea. And that, uh, working with KG is kind of the main reason of creating Brave Wave. Because at the time, when I, when we were all making World War II, uh, I... Just, you know, I was trying to see whether I could publish the album with OCR, Overclocked Remix, or uh, Game Chops, or any other label. I was not thinking about making a label. I was just right. making one album. But then when, when KG agreed, I thought, well, if I'm going to have World War II and another album, and maybe maybe uh, I will make a third album, then I need one place to group them all. And then the idea of, of a record label came to be. So even though KG's album only came out uh, last year, uh, it is the, the reason Brave Wave exists, basically. Uh, it, it, it kind of gave shape to the idea of having a label that houses um, video game musicians. Uh, and it was kind of our mission to try and seek the forgotten video game musicians, the one from the NES and Super Nintendo era. And here we are. And then since then, you've added like several notable names uh, to that list. I think this past year, we, we announced a lot of cool musicians. The composer of Ninja Gaiden 2 and 3, in addition to Keiji, and of course, Yoko Shimamura, uh, a lot of other amazing musicians, Gamex musician, Masashi Kageyama. So it slowly morphed into a, a bigger-than-life idea. It started just so small with me, Marco, Alex, and Keiji and Manami, but uh, I think we just uh, attracted uh, video game composers slowly with word of mouth and of course uh, word of mouth and uh, having uh, the support of people like Manami and, and KG just helped us a lot because they were not new newcomers but they, they are mm -hmm. people that are well known and respected in the VGM scene in Japan. Manami knows a lot of people. Uh, she introduced me to Ippo Yamada, the composer of Mega Man 9 and 10 and Ippo knows a lot of other uh, contemporary and uh, retro musicians so we slowly became a place that attracts these Japanese people that we created the label for. And now, of course, we have the Generation Series, which is another thing altogether. So, Yeah, which is actually a pretty good segue. Uh, we were talking about maybe taking a break and then coming back with a pretty thorough discussion about how the Generation Series and its uh, first album, the Street Fighter II Definitive Soundtrack, 
uh, how that all came to be. So uh, we'll, we'll hop into a quick break uh, for a minute, and we'll be back in just a sec. Hi everyone, Brett here from Brave Wave and VG Empire. Just popping in to say thanks for listening and bear with us as we figure out exactly what this podcast is going to look and sound like. But in this first episode, we're about to go into a long discussion about the Street Fighter 2 Definitive soundtrack. And underneath this, you may hear a new song called Chaotic Code from Keiji Yamagishi. This is from Retroactive Part 2 that's set to debut in February. This track is out now as a preview of the album, Uh, so if you haven't been able to check it out yet and you're discovering it somehow just through listening to this album, uh, check out our store on Bandcamp, store.bravewave.net, for not only uh, Retroactive Part 2, but also the original album, as well as uh, World 1-2 in flux. There's a lot of good albums and a lot of good work coming. Uh, There's also been some news about upcoming albums and upcoming collaborations that we're going to detail on not only the site, but also on the podcast. So this is a great chance to get more information, a little more insight into how everything works um we're looking again for uh, every two weeks to have an episode and if you have questions hit us up on twitter that's at brave wave music you know um but now we're going to get back into this street fighter conversation uh but again thanks for listening and thanks for supporting brave wave and also uh if you're not already uh give a listen to uh, vg empire my video game music podcast it does not have a uh, proper music terminology and a lot of uh music theory or analysis but it is uh run by myself and a bunch of friends who do enjoy game music and have for years and it's more of an enthusiast thing but uh if you're looking for more people to talk about game music with uh it's a great way to meet some new people again thanks for listening and let's get back to the show Welcome back to segment two of Wavelength, the Brave Wave official podcast. Uh, that is Zangief's theme, Zangief. I'm not sure about the actual proper pronunciation of his name, but yeah. uh, from Street Fighter 2, um, did we decide CPS 1 or 2 for this uh, intro? Um, I like both, but I will two. go C- yeah, CPS 2. CPS 2. From I actually Super- I really like CPS 2. A lot of people hate it, but I just love it. Yeah, I'm more of a CPS one fan myself, but uh, the CPS. I mean, I got no complaints. It's it, you're you're mm-hmm. distinguishing between two diamonds at that point. So, but yeah, this is uh, we spent a lot of time. Uh, all all of us, I think you guys more than me for sure. But uh, we actually all three contributed to uh, this definitive edition soundtrack, uh, which is out now uh, on our Bandcamp store. Which you can buy the digital files, you can buy the CDs, and then or later this year the vinyls are, are releasing. But this is a great chance to actually like tell the story of how this thing came to be. Uh, my involvement in it is 
fairly brief, but uh, prior to this, I did work at Capcom, and I worked there for four years, and in that time was fortunate enough to like make some inroads with marketing and licensing such that I got to put some albums together for Mega Man's 25th anniversary, uh, which included working with Overclocked Remix, uh, which you can still buy their album uh, Forever Lasting Peace. It's a great album. And then also was able to work with some uh, bands, including the Proto Men, who debuted their new song Built to Last on an album called MM25 Mega Man Rocks. And then after that got together, after like a year, I, that's around the time the intervening years where Brave Wave kind of started making waves, no pun intended. Uh, <laughs> and I'm like, man, like there's got to be a way to work with these guys because this just seems too perfect. And so we started mm-hmm. talking and then one thing led to another and here we are. We have this beautiful, reverent Street Fighter II album. But I, I, I think for the most part, I was just professional uh, wheel greaser for this thing, uh, <laughs> making sure the connections are made and get you know the right people in the right room. But then you guys kind of took it and ran with it. Yeah, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not sure I told you this, Brett, but you planted the seed of the idea in my uh, mind for the Generation Series because we were talking uh, on email and you mentioned something about how cool it would be to perhaps release uh, original gaming soundtracks. And I think a lot of people mentioned this to me over the years. Every time I would tell them, you know, we're releasing a new album by this composer, they would tell me, well, why not release game soundtracks? And I would just dismiss the idea. But for some reason, when you when you said that, I kept thinking about it for a few days. And then I went to Marco and I told him it would be neat to create a new brand, like a new sub-label that is kind of like the Criterion Collection for video game soundtracks because we really don't have something like that. When you look at the different uh, video game soundtrack releases, uh, for the newer games, usually the composers are in charge of that. So that's good. But for the old soundtracks, it's it's, it's a mess. Um, <laughs> almost every retro series has been totally screwed uh, in so many different ways that we don't really have a, a good official way to listen to them. Of course, uh, for example, for NES music, you could download the NSF files and put them in WinAMP or whatever it is the app that you want to use. But that I, I don't think that's a really good uh, solution. I, I was thinking of a good way to actually present a cool package. And uh, Marco and I are really good big fans of the Criterion Collection, not just in terms of the quality of the films that they release, uh, the restoration uh, job, but also the extra stuff that they put. Uh, For some movies, they would uh, give you uh, weird, unseen uh, short films by the director, sometimes uh, a lot of extra scenes, and uh, the DVDs or Blu-rays would come with a booklet, would have essays, interviews, stuff like that, and I love that a lot yeah. uh, and uh, personally I've always been a big fan of, of, of meaningful booklets I hate it when I buy a, a video game and the booklet is just uh, one paper of, of some legalese or even with music uh, so that was the idea we want to release soundtracks in the best possible way with the best possible content you know essays and interviews and all of that and uh, we thought that we could make that possible because we know a lot of composers. So, for example, uh, one of the first games that we thought of was Mega Man. So we thought, well, if we want to work on Mega Man, we already have Manami. And uh, Mega Man 2, well, we have uh, Tataishi. So 
uh, we like the concept of having these composer-approved soundtracks with a lot of extra content, uh, you know, for for people to uh, dig into. So it becomes more of an experience. Just exactly, just like the Criterion Collection. Uh, usually, when I watch a Criterion film, uh, you know, I, I finish the movie, I pick up the booklet, I try to learn more about the director and 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 uh, read more about the the film. And of course, you you, you could do that now. You can Google and just spend hours reading but uh, we wanted to really create something high quality polished there's something to be said for having it all like on you in your lap and like just kind of surround yourself with this thing yes because um, yeah never having to never having to buy or think about having to buy another version of this soundtrack whatever it is because that's for me that was the case that i'm i i like the criterion approach i like the extras and everything but i'm more of a purist where i just want i just want to have one version that is that has all the care and attention put into it that you could possibly do and that is is with music especially with video game music that is is uh, complete that really has because that's another huge issue that you do have a lot of soundtracks that are pretty decent quality and everything where people have put effort into it but they just really abridge they're just they just take out half of the stuff but they're big soundtracks so they're like oh no one's going to buy like a four a soundtrack on four CDs or or even four vinyls or whatever. So we're just going to have to cut out most of the content. And so what that means, if you do something like that, all it means is that, okay, a few years later, someone else is going to do another take on it. Yeah. And it's going to decide that these are the important tracks. And now we're just going to do like one loop per track and then fade it out. And we're not going to master it. And so you end up with a lot of soundtracks that are out sometimes for one franchise or one game. And there's vastly different qualities of of, of uh, sound. There's different versions in terms of what tracks are on here. How long do the tracks play? When do they fade out? Like, are they even available? Some of them are not even available out, outside of Japan, or they're incredibly rare to get. So that that was one of the really important issues that we wanted to solve. We wanted to make something available that wouldn't just sell out and then we're never doing it again. We wanted to be for collectors, but not in the sense that it's extremely limited and it's going to get super rare and you can only get it on eBay for 300 bucks or something like yeah. that. We didn't want that. We wanted something that was definitive, complete and in the best quality that we could possibly do. And basically that was uh, our initial idea for the generation series. And there's something mm. to be said for accessibility too. Cause it's like, yeah, NSF files exist and yes, ROMs exist. And, but it's like, I don't want these treasured things to constantly be this thing that I have to teach someone how to steal it. Like, like yeah. you're yeah. like oh nsf files what's that well let me take you on a journey through winamp and it's like <laughs> like that like yeah just the average friend and they eat just endlessly they just loop forever and it's not a nice listening experience really yeah, they just like, go on and on they loop and, and 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 they're all they're not in a nice order there's there's a uh, uh, because it's not intended for you to sit down and listen to it like that. Yeah. So then you get things like, and and not just Brave Wave, but since you know it's our show, we're going to toot our own horn. But stuff that we're doing and others, it's like finally giving this stuff a a reverence that you can finally show to a friend who grew up with you and like, oh yeah, I loved the the, the Ninja Gaiden music. Like I haven't thought about game music in thirty years, but you know I can go to that friend and be like, hey, the guy who made that music, there's a new album, and and check it out or in the case of street right. fighter like i know you like the street fighter 2 music friend uh now you don't have to like just open a youtube tab you can actually 
own it. And another great thing is like the composer is getting acknowledgement this time. It's an, it's a release that is like in conjunction with the composer. And like, yep. it's not just like, yeah, you downloaded some files. Nobody knows. There's no ticker anywhere that says this is valuable and worth money. It's just another download in the billions that happen every hour on the internet. It's like, this is a thing that can be quantified and proven. This is valuable and worth money. Yes, mm-hmm. exactly. And, um, Regarding the you know crediting the composers and putting them at the forefront of this, it was really important. And um, uh, I will just mention this really short story. Uh, when we uh, went to Bit Summit in 2014, uh, it was our first uh, event in Japan. It's an event about Japanese uh, games and and mm-hmm. indie creations. On the second day, I think Ippo Yamada, the composer of Mega Man Nine, uh, he brought uh, Junko Tamiya, the composer of. Uh, Binary Commando and Strider and Ooh. Sweet Home. I, th- I think that's that's the name of the game. And um, uh, he wanted her to meet me because uh, uh, we were collaborating on a collaborative album. She was making one track, so he wanted her to meet me. And she came and she did not expect anything. She did not think anyone would care. But then... Um, like uh, every time someone would come, I would tell him, you know, this is Junko Tamiya. She made this and this and that. And uh, I, I, at the time, I had uh, a few friends with me, a few composers, Eric Serke of uh, Spilanki. He, he's a huge fan of Tamiya. Then I took Junko Tamiya on the side and with Alex, uh, my co-founder, uh, he was translating for me. And I basically, I gave her uh, a copy of our CD, Influx. And I uh, told her, you know, uh, your music had, a big impact on me and I'm glad uh, I'd be working with you and blah, blah, blah. And as I was talking, I can see that she was really deeply, um, I don't know what the word is, connected that she almost cried. And that meant a lot to me because I can see that these people are talented, but they don't know that what they made really made that much of an impact on on us um, people yeah. who grew up playing video games and for her to see a group of guys making a label making CDs and and just celebrating their decades old work uh, it I know it meant something to her and uh, just seeing her and that moment meant something to me because these composers just really don't get the attention they deserve at all. And uh, maybe Yoko Shimomura is one of the uh, few examples of a prominent uh, composer who is now getting uh, a lot of attention. But back in the day, no one really know much about her. And I think I think maybe just in the past five years or so, maybe six, seven years, people started acknowledging that Yoko is the one who made Street Fighter 2 music because... No one really knew. Uh, no, no one just cared enough to dig deep into uh, these composer names and uh, and the, the, who made the music. Everyone was just busy listening to the soundtracks themselves. So, uh, yes, having these composers just helming these soundtracks was uh, a very important aspect of of our releases. And then Marco, like, how did? like the actual technical process of putting this together. Cause one of the things that's touted on it is like, Oh, this isn't just, we took the sound files off some other album and put it in a nice box that looks nice and has essays, but like the music itself is the same as something you already own. Like this is a, a new vision. Restoration. For this, yeah. A restoration for the soundtrack that people, that people love so much. Yeah. It was, uh, we knew right away we have, we had to go to the source. Of course we had to go to the, uh, um, 
to the back to the arcade ports and we had to find out okay how can we get the music off those ports and uh, we thought that was going to be a simple process and then maybe a little bit of cleanup and uh, then we can just put it out there and that wasn't really the case i mean i mean mo was the one who started um, talking to some engineers to some really really talented great guys in japan who um found the boards and who already had a lot of experience in in um, getting music off these arcade boards it was cps1 and cps2 for the two different editions and they spent some time figuring out you know how can we get the best possible quality off these boards and it was a matter of figuring out well getting a digital output out of these boards and then recording that and it's basically you go through sound testing menus and that sort of thing and that's uh, and we thought we were going to get for for uh, for cps uh, for CPS two and CPS one, we thought we were just going to get one stream, and it was going to it would sound great. And like I said, a little bit of cleanup. But um, what we got for CPS two was actually the bigger problem. CPS one was interesting because we got we just got two streams of audio. Uh, one was the PCM sound off the board because we got a digital, and the other one was the FM chip. And it was just a matter of balancing that. Basically, we we uh, recorded the analog output of the um, arcade board, uh, how it would have sounded if you stood in front of the arcade machine, and then just balanced it, the two streams according to that to get it just right. And then there was uh, quite a bit of cleanup to be done. I think I mentioned this before. It's about um, the the FM chip, uh, that Yamaha FM chip in in the CPS one boards has a strange thing where it causes these clicks at the end of waveform cycles sometimes when they're when they abruptly stop and some of the tracks were just full of that they were just covered in those clicks and it was clearly clearly not a sound design thing it was clearly something that wasn't intended so that was something that needed to clean up then what needed to clean up of course was um, a lot of noise from the board despite the um, digital output you get you got some uh, some noise and so on uh, and then the last that was the mastering which in which you try to balance you know okay the sound should be authentic but it should also sound pleasing on your typical home speakers or headphones today so try to find a balance make it sound a little bit more modern uh, in terms of of equalization and so on but not getting to the point where you just take away from the authenticity of the sound and we, we were lucky of course to have uh yoko shimamura uh, who helped us with that because we knew that if we did go overboard with that she would tell us yeah but mm-hmm. she was and she was totally fine though she was she was really really supportive she was uh always telling us you know oh this is this is uh this sounds great and and she gave us a little bit of a a, a guide to what she thinks it should sound like and so on and uh that was cps1 the real issue started with cps2 which which we ended up not being able to get off the board digitally and that had a big impact because for a while we thought that was going to be a disaster we thought oh god it it sounds different than the emulated soundtrack it it definitely you can definitely hear that what a lot of people know these days is the emulated soundtrack because if you go on youtube and you put in any of the street fighter 2 music from cps2 you get soundtrack rips off uh, um, emulators right so that's what most people know and for us, that meant then, okay, we have to get to the quality in terms of the clarity of the sound. 
we have to compete with that because the, the sound, of course, was crystal clear because the samples, they didn't come go through the analog circuitry of the port, but they came off that ROM that was playing in an emulator. And um, But what we noticed right away was that it didn't really sound like that in the arcade, what we got off the board. It was close, but it, in fact, sometimes it was even dropping notes, the, the emulated soundtrack, and it couldn't emulate the cue sound, surround effect from the board. It didn't have the stereo image that the original arcade board had. It had a much, much nicer, much fuller stereo image, a, a warmer sound. Some of the instruments just sounded different right off the board than mm. what you're used to from the emulated stuff. But the sound was just degraded. It didn't sound great. It had it, it had uh, distortion. Mm. It had a lot of the high frequencies were kind of lost in the process of that analog circuitry. The Q sound surround effect from that specific sound chip, it was something that was obviously part of the sound. Well, back in the arcades, the, the, the Q sound chip, that's the name of the sound chip used on the CPS-2 board. And it hasn't really been ever reverse engineered, unlike the CPS-1 sound chip. It hasn't been reverse engineered. So uh, it was impossible. That's why we couldn't get to the digital output of the board, basically. Um, what it does is it creates a pseudo surround effect using just two speakers, just by messing with the, uh, this is probably going to get a little, a little bit too technical, just by messing with the, the phase and the frequency bands and it can be a, a, a pleasing effect, but it just totally ruins the low end of the sound, just completely butchers it <laughs> because it, there's absolutely no concern for that. It was just applied to the entire signal, like from, from the highest to the lowest frequencies, and you could hear that. And a lot of people have commented how much stronger the low end is of, of our uh, restoration, of our remaster. And it has to do with that because I kind of figured out uh, – I reverse engineered that surround effect a little bit and removed it gradually from the lower end but left it from the mid to the higher frequencies which means that you have that beautiful uh, uh stereo image that you got on the arcade that is on no other soundtrack but you have a really full and thick low end and that was basically the best compromise that we could find it's, it sounds easy. I mean, as you tell it and as, as you say that we, we, we run into some difficulties, of course, you know, it's, it sounds like a cool story. But I remember the day that Marco came to me and he said, um, we should Skype. Like, I, I can't just tell you about this here. And when we Skyped, he simply told me that uh, he tried everything, like every technique, everything he has mastered for the past, I don't know, decade plus and he can't fix it <laughs> and he can't think like like he's skyping with me just to tell me like i can't think of a way to make this sound good and we were so desperate that we just we were just laughing on skype because we i mean i i had no solution i mean if my engineer tells me that uh, he can't fix something uh, there's well, nothing really what else can you do? do and we kept like bing bonging some ideas and 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 Marco like he was just hellbent on this because both of us uh, but maybe him much more than me uh, because he can see these issues uh, uh better than than I do uh, he just he wasn't happy about releasing something so much inferior even to the emulated soundtrack uh, but at the same time we want to remain authentic so what do we do here? And 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 like I just uh, after the Skype call, I just kept thinking, well, <laughs> what are we gonna do now? Uh, I felt helpless for the first time in a very long time creatively because I felt that I truly can't do anything here. Yeah, it was well. I suddenly had an idea of how to how to fix the most 
the most important issues. It was it, it was just a combination of well, the first thing was the surround effect that we kind of removed from the uh, lower frequencies, but that was only one thing. The other thing was that the higher frequencies were just kind of almost irreparably lost and then also the distortion because through that analog signal path on the board there was some distortion introduced that just it it really wasn't great and Mm. i can't go into all the details of what it took but basically with something that i've never really quite done like that before we managed to recover i managed to recover the the high frequency content that I thought was just lost. And this wasn't a matter of just EQing, just turning up the high frequencies because that just wasn't possible. But there was a way uh, that I figured out. It took a lot of work on every single track, basically, that I had to do this. Also, that helped in removing the distortion. And then eventually uh, the surround effect came together, how, how I managed to sort of leave it in for the important uh, mid and higher frequencies and just remove it from the lower ones. And then I sent more sample and said, look, this is what it can sound now. And I remember your reaction because I couldn't believe it myself because all of a sudden this, it sounded amazing. Like what we had on our hands was like, wow, this is really how it's supposed to sound. And at that point we knew that the, um, we had something great on our hands. This is exactly what we wanted. We were able to be authentic, exactly off, get the sound off the hardware, but make it sound modern, make it sound pleasing to your ears today. And then eventually the last step was, of course, uh, the mastering with the mm-hmm. analog ear that was done with a separate mastering engineer. And once we had that final sound and we started comparing it to the old soundtracks and to the emulated sound, we were all we all knew that, wow, this is so much better than the soundtrack has ever sounded. And uh, it was a long process, but I think it was, it was worth it. It was, it was worth every minute, every hour uh, invested into it. And it was, it was not a, yeah, it was not a fast process, but um, it was definitely worth it. And yeah, you put your own stamp on this, like legitimately legendary soundtrack that is like, not just a big deal, like in Japan, North America, but like of all video games in history, like Street Fighter 2 is certainly one. Yep. And by association, the music like this is something mm-hmm. the world knows. And to be able to provide like this definitive version of it, I mean, like I know I'm sounding like a, you know, walk in PR machine, but it's like <laughs> it's just so rare that game music gets that kind of attention. Like most again, like growing up recording off air boom boxes or to get, you know, professionals in there and tinker with these things until they come out sounding like they should. It's like for me, this is an important moment. I'm just I'm. I, I, no, I mean, de- de- definitely. And and Street Fighter is the kind of game. I mean, I talked earlier about Captain Tsubasa and how, you know, soccer is famous in the Middle East. We had an anime, all that. Street Fighter was just, I mean, it didn't really have any anime in here. But I, I live in Kuwait and uh, we had arcade machines. Uh, I didn't grow up going to the arcade machines. Uh, we had it on the Genesis, uh, but even like 10,000 miles away and uh, I was still able to uh, play it and experience it and like, play the multiplayer with, with family, with cousins and all of that. So it's definitely a, a worldwide affair. And uh, Shimamura herself, uh, she talked about, uh, I think, uh, going to Spain. She was on vacation and seeing people uh, pick Vega because he's from Spain and, yeah. and being excited about the music. And uh that, uh, and she said that that shocked her because she did not uh, know that uh, Street Fighter 2 was like this popular. She knew that it was successful, but she did not know that it was like this popular everywhere all around the world, which is really um, significant. And it's funny that we started with this massive soundtrack because you would think that for our first project, we would pick 
I don't know, something like Mega Man, like something really small and, and just have uh, 20 tracks. And even even though I'm really familiar with the soundtrack and when we started talking about CBS 1 and CBS 2, I knew that it's going to be a lot of tracks, but I, I, I just, I really didn't oh, sit down and think it's a lot. how much, yeah, how much it's <laughs> going to be. And when, when Capcom announced the news in July, of course, we had people just, ask us every single day till the announcement day that wh- when are you releasing Street Fighter? When are you doing it? And, and it's been months since you announced it. But I think like from listening to this episode, you can see how uh, crazy it is to, to, to restore and remaster such a dense, yeah. massive soundtrack. It's just, it's, it's such a, whenever I open it on my iPhone, even, even on iTunes, like it's, it's such a, giant page that you have to like i have to scroll a few times <laughs> until like this page is done so um it's it's been really uh one of my experience. uh one of my least favorite words on the internet is the word just oh you've announced that you're doing this thing oh you're remastering a soundtrack cool and then it's like well why don't you just do this or why don't like all you, all you have to yeah. do is remaster why don't you just remaster it and then release it and it's like or you know why don't you yeah. just make this or, or working at a publisher it's like why don't you just make this game and it's like that's millions of dollars and years of work like you don't yep. just just do that yes. uh so yeah, this is one tweets, of those i saw some tweets in reply to someone talking about the the sf2 remaster and I, I, it took a lot not to go in there and reply, but I knew it was not a good idea where this guy just said, well, they just, well, remaster, they just, I can do that too. They just, they just uh, turned, uh, turned up the high frequencies. They just used an equalizer and turned up the high frequencies. Wow, great. We can download the soundtrack for free and do that ourselves. You can just yeah. do that yourself. And yeah. I'm like, yeah. Such a slap, slap on the face to you, especially. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, after, the one who spent just months on it. Yeah, after four years of, of working there, it's like most of that stuff comes from a place. It's it still comes from like an excitement. Like they're excited about mm-hmm. the soundtrack, or people are excited about a franchise or a game. They just they just want more or more information or or some kind of update. It's just somehow it's, sometimes it's expressed in a way where you're like, well, I can't just make the thing or things like it sounds simple. Like I was fortunate enough to like have a helping hand in getting a lot of PS one classics or virtual console games through the, through the pipeline as well. Again, the, the wheel greaser uh, that I was, that I was good at just like keeping things moving. And like Mega Man legends is one of those things. It's finally a North America PS one classics on PS three. And like, that's something I I feel very proud of of working months, but it's it, it was not it's not a why don't you just put the ROM on PlayStation? It's like oh man, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. oh man, exactly. Let just me tell you first it. of just, all, why don't you just rip it, rip it, and upload it? What's the problem? What are you, yeah, what are you and it's doing, like right? it's a long process. Like the, anyone who works in a in a corporation that has more than fifty people in it can tell you, like it's just getting people's time is like the hardest part. Actually, doing it is not. It, that's one thing. It's the time. It's all about the time yeah, that definitely. it takes. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, even when you just just look at the the artwork, the cover, every single element in there was just chosen carefully. Do we put the Generation Series logo or not? Do we make the Street Fighter 2 logo white? Because that's (laughs) how we first pitched it to Capcom. But Capcom has really clear guidelines on how to use the Street Fighter logo because, you know, it's an important brand. And and we had to do a lot of back and forth with with the composer's names, with the album name. Do we want to call it the definitive soundtrack? The, I don't know, the complete edition soundtrack? Like, it's a lot of decisions and uh, people from everywhere have to, like, approve it. And it's just a 
long, long, long process. So yeah. it looks from the outside as, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm sure everyone just looking at what we do, they would think, okay, Capcom is giving BraveWave the wave files. BraveWave is like giving <laughs> I was going to say, like, they're giving it to the mastering engineer, but I don't think even people think of a mastering engineer. They would just think that we're going to do something with them, and that's it. We, we press on vinyl and CD, but it's 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 a much, much... Uh, tiresome. And, Another big mm. point of it is also, like, uh, this is also not the only project that is happening. Yeah. It's not like yeah. there's six people sitting around, and the one thing they're working on for the next eight months is Street Fighter Two soundtrack. Yeah. No, the Capcom marketing folks are doing seven dozen tasks and then brave wave yes. is working on multiple things behind the scenes and it's like yes. that's why things take some time and i think some of it gets on people who create things announce things just too early and it, you get yeah. excited and that's games music movies tv it's it's everything but you, you get excited yeah. you know the papers are signed you want to tell people we're doing this thing and it's like now please be yeah. patient for nine months while we work on it <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that and, was uh, a bit. I think we we did regret that a little bit that yeah. we announced uh, so early with with Muhammad when we talked. It was that was part of the discussion for a while that we shouldn't have announced it that early because yeah, you do make people really anxious about something. They look forward to it, and then you realize well, it's going to be a longer process. And so I think in the future we're probably going to be a little bit more careful in that regard. Yeah, and the thing is, when we first started about doing this generation series thing, a, a big concern was the money because if if we, I mean, I knew right away that we were gonna be spending a lot of money on this, and if if the album wasn't successful, Brave Wave will just be in a very dangerous position. We might lose jobs. We 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 might not be able to sustain what we do on on the base that we we were moving. So, and. Honestly, we had no idea that it would be successful because uh, I mean, I kept I kept just thinking, would people be willing to spend uh, money on something like this? Because I know that people are fine with uh, I don't know YouTube or, or whatever it is that they uh, use for these soundtracks. Uh, and uh, even though Street Fighter Two is a really big game, it's a big deal for us to work on it. I was just constantly thinking, well, will people really? care about this but when capcom announced it um uh, i mean internally we were excited about the idea of having yoko working on it uh with us the original composer and uh having both cbs1 and cbs2 and uh capcom allowing us to sell the album digitally on bandcamp this is really big deal so we were excited about like a few things but when capcom announced it and the websites just started talking about it everyone was uh talking about the vinyl edition. And to us, at the time, I didn't even think about vinyl. The reason we're doing vinyl is because you, Brett, told me that you know it would be a good idea to do a vinyl because uh, uh, there was uh, this Scott, uh, Scott Pilgrim uh, video game soundtrack by Anna Managuchi. Uh, like it looked good. People loved it. And at the time when we were discussing the Street Fighter II soundtrack, uh, like... Data Discs, the guy who are doing uh, the guys who are doing uh, Streets of Rage and Shinmu, they weren't there yet. Like they didn't announce anything yet. Like the video game vinyl scene was was not around. So vinyl was just just one more thing to to worry yeah, about. It seemed and, like uh, that's the way the winds were blowing, and it's like I I don't I don't own a turntable, but I'm I'm in the process of getting one now because there's so many mm-hmm. like game soundtracks that I. Mm-hmm. It's kind of strange. Like that's not the medium I would have expected game music to find some kind of modern renaissance on. But like, I can't argue with a Shinobi soundtrack. <laughs> like, 
Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I was surprised too. I I, I started to, uh, because I didn't really um, my most of my music career was about vinyl, and I have a huge record collection. But I thought that was in the past, basically, because in the in the in the nineties, late nineties, and early two thousands, it was still the the medium of choice for DJs. And it just never occurred to me that I would go back to that. That we would do vinyl again, but. It's a good thing that I had that in the past because it helped a little bit with this release. But yeah. it's it's also kind of nice to revisit that. I got to say, I didn't really think it was going to happen, but it does uh, bring something to the sound. If if only, uh, you know, we could talk about the, the quality of the sound and the distinct sound of vinyl forever. But uh, if only for the fact that it's something that you sit down with and you are forced to experience that thing mm-hmm. outside of all the other distractions. You, it's, it's a really deliberate thing that you do. Yeah. And that is just unique to vinyl. Yeah. Uh, it's something that like I would get to a point in, in high school where I'm like, I'm just going to sit down and listen to this game soundtrack. And you got to be pretty into it to want to do that. Like even when we, on episodes of EG empire, folks will be like, Oh yeah, I really love the soundtrack. I put it on while I, you know, work on this or sweep or clean, and I'm like, oh, I'll just like sit and listen to it. And they're like, whoa. <laughs> um, but yeah. yeah, if you're buying a vinyl, yeah, you're kind of like, this is a this is a deliberate choice. I'm gonna move the needle. I'm gonna sit here and consider it. Yep. Um, and that's cool. Yeah, and especially I mean, back then when I was uh, listening to music on cassettes and uh, CDs, uh, I did not have the internet with me at all. Uh, so. Uh, I was kind of forced to sit down, like open the booklet, read the lyrics until I memorized them all. But uh, right now, like, if, uh, I don't know, even if you listen to cassette, you could have that. But the thing is, with cassettes and uh, uh, and CDs, you could play them and still be busy with something else. But with vinyl, uh, like one side is something like 16 minutes, 17 minutes that it is so short. And it's like maybe just three, four songs that... You won't be able to do really much else until you have to get up, remove the needle, like flip it and put the needle again. So it kind of encourages you to just sit down and and be conscious while listening to the, to, to the music. Like if, if, even if it's just music, even if it doesn't have like any any massive booklet with uh, yeah. lyrics and all of that, uh, it, it would just kind of force you to sit down and listen in a world where, where it's just so easy to uh, lose attention and just split it on 10 different apps and things and uh, yeah, chat yeah. and all that. So I think it's a really cool thing if only for that. I mean, we could probably talk indefinitely about this, but thankfully we have a brand new show where we can do that. Uh, yeah, if there's any like closing comments about this project and uh, its its uh, status as of today. um, We charted on Billboard soundtrack, which was amazing. Yeah. Definitely uh, unexpected. Uh and actually, I have a few questions by people who ask us on Twitter. Um, okay. Let's see. Okay, someone's name I can't pronounce because they're using a lot of weird characters. Are there any other game you'd like to remake the soundtrack to, either now or in the future? Um, oh, well, yes, of course, definitely. Uh, yeah, I think there's probably few. The, 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 the quicker answer is, are there any that you do not? Because that, yeah. that that list will be <laughs> yeah, exactly. that list would be shorter. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so yes, definitely. Uh, I mean, we're going to be announcing something soon, right? I mean, really soon. I think we're going to have something to announce. Yeah, hopefully. Um, 
uh, we're already working on a few uh, deep into researching. I'm I'm going to Japan in a few days, and I'll be buying a lot of uh, Famicom cards. I'm sending them to Marco to uh, record the music. So we are already uh, deep into doing uh, this. And um, another question by up in the ear um are there by the way i I probably shouldn't be announcing any of the names because i will keep on screwing up every single are there plans for launch events in the future to coincide with the vinyl releases and what was the process for the release so okay we talked about the process launch events we i don't know we could we could think about that uh, we were just so busy with the lunch itself that we really did not think about doing events or, or like a listening party or any of that. Yeah, I think yeah, a listening party on, on online is is a cool like you know inexpensive way to kind of grab some attention and and let everyone yes. experience. But thinking ahead, like for ten years, I was on the convention circuit so much with E three and two packs and two Comic Cons and TGS and Gamescom. PS like it was just nonstop for a while, uh, and mm-hmm. some of those, you know, no no plans, but like that's to me seems like might be fun to try to coincide a release with one of those, and then people, you know, you already got a gathering of people in in a spot. Um, yes. No yes. plans again, yep. but just like that seems like it might be fun. Mm-hmm. Benjamin Rivers, the um, developer of the game Home, it's on PC, Mac, PlayStation Four. He asks. Um, can you or some of the composers discuss the technical process of working on 8-16-bit hardware? And I think we could talk about that, but on the next episode, we will be interviewing Keiji Yamagishi, the composer of yeah. Ninja Gaiden. So I will just straight up ask, uh, ask him about this, and he will just uh, tell us how it felt to work uh, back in the day. Yep. Yeah, here's a funny... Uh, Question by John Davies. Uh, he's the illustrator who illustrated the our New Year postcard, which is something Japanese companies do. They yeah. they, they send each other's postcards, and uh, he he made a parody of the Street Fighter cover. So he says, "How many beers have the team wrestled?" Collected? I think you mean you mean bears, right? Like not beer, like not oh. drinking. Oh yeah, of course. <laughs> because I don't think anyone wrestled any. <laughs> <laughs> See, I-, I told you I shouldn't be reading these questions. Okay, how many bears have the team wrestled collectively between you all? I don't know how, how to answer that, but we we <laughs> certainly missed a lot of nights. Uh... Well, California, we have a lot of bears, so. Uh... <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen Mo in a while, so I haven't wrestled any beer for a bear for a while. <laughs> Corey Farkas asks what is next on the generation roster so we obviously can't say that but it will be really good i think it will be good <laughs> well obviously even if it sucks i'm gonna say it's good just because sure. this is our podcast but i really think it's, it's gonna be cool hopefully we will announce it in the next few uh months retro future ronin asks what do you think made the street fighter 2 soundtrack so iconic and what other arcade soundtracks can match it it's tough to answer this one. Um, a lot of people ask me this. A lot of journalists ask me this. And I really I can't think of anything but that the music itself was really catchy and fun. And to me, that that was um, that was it. Uh, I, I can't try to dig deep into this. I, I have no idea. For me, like it always, this and Mega Man did the same thing for me, where it is a 
single theme per character. Mm-hmm. So over time, like if you're playing in the arcade, you're pumping quarters in, or you're sitting down in front of an NES playing Mega Man, it's like every time I pick Gutsman, I will hear the Gutsman theme. Mm. And then over time, that connection just becomes stronger. And this already catchy song starts to mean a little more mm-hmm. because I now associate it with a face and a, and an environment. So after I hear Ken's theme and Ryu's theme and Honda, Chun-Li, Zang, if they all sound so different and, you know, sort of like based on their location even. So it's like I'm thinking of a place, a time, a character, mm-hmm. and it becomes more than just background music. It becomes like this is my character's anthem. So when I'm playing Ryu, that music summarizes his intensity and his focus. And yeah. Blanca sounds a little bit more jungle-like and he's a little bit more wild. So it would back things up and it, it became more than just one song it was like a character a place a location and, and uh, that's actually a great point just regarding how you how the music of the character makes you feel because uh the reason that i started playing with zanjeev is uh well first no one was playing with him just because he's heavy and it's easy to just defeat him with the hadoukens but uh, i loved his uh, music so much that i wanted yeah. to play as him Patrick Kalikowski, he asks, we know of Shimomura-san's involvement, but how involved were uh, Izao Abe and Sion Nishigaki with this remaster? So because Shimomura composed Street Fighter, uh, the CBS one, like all of the original themes, and Izao Abe, he made Sagat stage uh, for CBS one, and then Abe and Nishigaki, they came back for CBS2 and they rearranged everything, plus made new music. So Isao Abe, he's still with Capcom, Capcom Japan. He's still employed there. So even though we haven't worked with him directly, everything that we made, like CBS1, CBS2, was approved by Capcom Japan themselves, uh, every single track. So he probably had uh, a look at the files. And we tried a lot to get in touch with Nishigaki, but we just we, we, we couldn't find him. Uh, we have a lot of friends in Japan who know a lot of Capcom composers, but even then we couldn't locate him. So sadly, wow. we, we couldn't uh, get his feedback or, or listen to his uh, any notes about the game. Uh, so we ended up working uh, with Shimomura-san directly just because she's part of Brave Wave and it was a smooth process. And the last question, someone asked about the CBS3 games. And I actually don't know any CBS3 games. But, uh, I mean, why not? It's usually just a question of uh, how important was the music of the game. And uh, Was he talking about Street Fighter, uh, like Street Fighter 3 and so on that were, I think, on CPS3? He was talking yeah. about the board in general, but he did mention Street Fighter 3. And I, I, I definitely love Street Fighter 3 soundtrack. It was just wildly mm. different than 2 and uh, more maybe uh, electronic and, and, and less uh, less on the chiptune side. Uh, melodic side has uh, had a lot of jazzy elements, but uh, I love it. I isn't mean, that, a, I, I'm not sure if I'm wrong here, but isn't that just a CD, like uh, like audio CD audio, like isn't that just recorded, pre-recorded stuff at that point already? I mean, I'm not really sure, but I thought they didn't really have um, like FM, uh, mm-hmm. um, Yamaha FM chips anymore and so on. But it's not really a matter, yeah, I it, think, for us yeah. of working with a specific arcade board, but more about the soundtrack. And if it so happens to be yeah. on CPS3 or CPS2 or any other developers uh, and publishers' uh, arcade boards, then we'll go with that. It doesn't really matter to us in that sense i would say 
Well, I certainly hope so, because um, revisiting a, a massive soundtrack like Street Fighter 3 again is not something yeah. I look forward to. <laughs> I mean, there's Street Fighter 3, then there, you know, there's Third Strike at the end, and then what's the middle one? Uh, Double Impact? Yes. Like That's a lot to consider. Yeah, I don't even want to think about it right now. <laughs> Hopefully one day. But that kind of brings us to the end of the show. Uh, again, we covered a lot of ground, and I'm sure there's like a lot more we could have talked about but uh we'll have uh, more episodes i think we're, we're shooting for a bi-weekly schedule mm-hmm. um so uh keep your eyes and ears peeled to itunes and to brave wave in general uh for more information on that and you know subsequent announcements but uh you can follow me uh Brelston, on twitter or vg empire on twitter uh those are easy ways to get in touch with me or follow uh what i'm doing um and for you guys uh, you have your own plugs i'm sure i am robokick on twitter um on twitter i'm monomirror you can probably i mean you probably find all of us if you look a bit a little bit around on the brave wave uh, twitter or social media you'll find our names mm-hmm. and so on so yes. it's, i think it's easy to stay in touch with what we're doing yeah i i mentioned earlier that i was uh, kind of that i was kind of splitting my time between brave wave and and uh, um developing a, a video game just a little bit of self-promotion if you go on my twitter you'll see uh Plenty of tweets about that. It would be cool if you do have Steam, if you could check that out. It's kind of a a platformer, uh, kind of a unique platformer that is uh, controls kind of like the old school platformers like Mega Man and so on, but has some really, I think, unique new ideas. And if you want to check that out, you can just go on my Twitter and uh, at Monomir and uh, find it there. And then the name of the game? That's a good question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the name of the game is uh, Octahedron. And uh, I, I, I don't know who said it. it's like a, it's a Mega Man meet uh, Daft Punk, which is uh, yeah. At EGX, someone said that yeah. And <laughs> it, uh, I've been testing the game since uh, 2013. Uh, I played the very first uh, I don't know Alpha. It's not even Alpha. It was just a prototype. It was a prototype. Uh, yeah, when it was a prototype. Yeah. And uh, I, I was in love with the idea from the beginning because uh, you basically uh, it subverts the idea of a platformer. You don't move horizontally but you you climb up like like you, you progress vertically and you can make your own platforms and it's a really cool idea and i think you can get an, an idea of what the game is about when you just watch this trailer it's just linked in the uh, green light page so please go and vote for him um, but then taking us out uh, to end our first episode, we've been talking so much Street Fighter. It seemed appropriate to uh, to leave you all with a one of the ending themes from Street Fighter Two. Um, and which one uh, were you guys feeling? Uh, it's Ken's ending theme. And this is the Super Street Fighter Two version, or the yeah, that's uh, a CPS you know, Two. Yep. Yeah, like you mentioned, uh, we were talking offline there for a second, but uh, it's it's a little you know I don't want to say goofy, but it is it is very happy. And uh, it is one that stood out um, to me as well. So uh, we'll leave you all with uh, Ken's ending from uh, Super Street Fighter 2. Again, thanks for listening. Thanks for following us on social media. Thanks for supporting the Generation series and Brave Wave in general. Uh, it means a lot to see the reaction, the excitement, and just the overall positivity surrounding these releases. Um, and we uh, hope to have more for you soon. Thanks for listening. 